What's up, everybody? This is Greg with SportsRehabExpert.com and the Sports Rehab Expert Success Show. Today, we're back at it with another episode. This is a question coming from the community, um, but it also pertains to a case study that I had a while back ago in the clinic. Um, I think a lot of people will find use and utility in this one, so looking forward to bringing this information for you. But before we get into that, what I want you to do is hit that subscribe button so you get notified anytime you are listening in to a video. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, be sure to subscribe if you're watching this on iTunes or any major podcast platform. Uh, and do me a favor and share it out if you find this stuff helpful because uh, I want to try to help as many people as we can become the go-to rehabilitation professional in their area or become the go-to strength and conditioning performance coach in their area that helps athletes stay healthy, stay on the field of play, uh, and keep doing what they love to do. So today's topic is going to be sprinting, hamstring injuries, and soccer players. Those three. So uh, they all combined into one though, actually, where uh, I get asked a lot about individuals who, when they're sprinting, turn the, uh, the toes out and externally rotate their foot um, and don't necessarily sprint or run with their toes straight ahead. Uh, and then uh, they also said they noticed this a lot with soccer players. Furthermore, I just had a case uh, where I had a hamstring injury of a soccer player or a recreational soccer player, both the younger and older gentleman, um, dealing with hamstring issues, chronic hamstring injuries, issues in the clinic um, and some things that we did there to help them out. So first I'm gonna get answering the question of should somebody be towing out when they're sprinting? And my answer to this is uh, we have to consider acceleration and we have to consider top end speed. Those are two different phases of a sprint um, and two different things that are occurring uh, that we wanna consider. So during the acceleration phase, the purpose of acceleration is to get up to top end speed. In order to do that, you have to overcome inertia. In order to overcome inertia, we have to put a lot of force into the ground. So easiest analogy, of this is think about trying to push a car. If you were to try to push your car down your driveway, it's stalled out, the battery's dead, it won't run, and we need to get it up to the, the garage, we have to push it. Um, what would you do? You would get low to the ground and you have to really apply force in the opposite direction. Um, you probably widen your base of support because you want to apply as much force as you can. In order to do that, you have to be very, very stable. So. That's acceleration in order to cover ground. We have to apply force. Ground contact time is gonna be a little bit longer. So uh, if we take that into why somebody may toe out a little bit when they accelerate, it's because they're trying to increase their base of support. They're trying to increase uh, their surface area of where they're able to apply force. Um, and by towing out, you can have more surface area of the foot to apply force into the ground. Um, which may allow somebody to produce force or display force during an acceleration uh, time period when they're sprinting. So uh, during acceleration, I wouldn't be too worried about it. Uh, I would actually say that it may actually be advantageous for the athlete to be turned, uh, towed out just slightly so they can apply a little bit more force into the ground. Now top end speed, that's a little bit different of a scenario. Uh, when we're top end speed, we've already overcome inertia. We're trying to keep our momentum rolling and we're already uh, we're using a lot of um, vertical force at that point in time. So the, the time uh, and the distance we cover has more to do with ground contact and the vertical impulse that we're applying into the ground is gonna be what helps travel or get us to uh, continue rolling at a top end speed 
uh, and utilize that, uh, that uh, potential energy we've already created. So when we do that, we wanna consider that the foot in the action should be a little bit more cyclical at that point in time, as opposed to during acceleration where it's a little bit more piston-like that you'll see with the leg. Um, so that cyclical motion, in order to smoothly kind of come down, contact the ground, uh, you see a lot of sprint athletes doing pawing drills where they work on kind of contacting the, the, the middle of the foot to the forefoot of the foot and just striking the ground right underneath their, their center of mass. Um, that should be more cyclical, so that should be a little bit more toe forward. Um, in, in that scenario, uh, we don't necessarily want to toe out because we're, we're going to have some type of... Uh, awkward cyclical movement that would happen if we're towing out. Um, we want to be a little bit more cyclical in the sagittal plane in a sense there. Um, so uh, when they strike the ground uh, during top end speed, in my particular opinion, I feel that the toes should be a little bit more forward. Now that's probably a very uh, coordination thing that someone has to develop at, uh, through coaching. Um, if they're never aware of it in the first place, they're never going to fix it. So it's going to be just ingrained kind of into their body and habit. Um, and uh, they probably don't have a range of motion restriction that, or ankle range of motion restriction that's limiting that. If you think about top end speed, the knee is fairly well extended. There is some slight knee bend to it, but it's not like a squat where the knee is going really far over the top of the toes where ankle range of motion is really important for that. Um, again, the, the knee is fairly well vertical. There is some slight knee bend on ground contact, but uh, most people have the ankle range of motion necessary for that. So I don't think ankle range of motion is a, a good answer for why somebody may toe out. I think it's more of a technique and uh, a, a technical aspect of how someone has just either learned to sprint over time and never been coached. Um, or uh, it, we just need to bring their awareness to that so that they, over time, can kind of correct it on their own. Um, it's not going to correct right off the bat if they are doing it, so don't feel like you're going to have one magic uh, word that they're just going to correct, uh, or one magic cue that's going to correct everything. We just need to bring their attention to it. They need to practice it. Uh, they need to spend some time doing that sort of activity and become more efficient at it. Now, if they're playing a sport such as soccer, uh, we have to consider that the purpose of soccer is to obviously kick the ball around, right? Put the ball into a scoring position, score a goal. We have to kick the ball in order to do that. When you kick the ball, you're using the inside of your foot. So when you kick the ball, you're going to be towed out a little bit when you strike the ball. So if someone's running around always having a ball at their feet or always trying to be prepared and ready to kick a ball, it would make sense that they would tow the foot out a little bit to be prepared a little bit more for the activity of that sport. So that's something that I do see in soccer players quite frequently is uh, they don't necessarily open their stride up quite as much as a sprinter would. Um, they tend to be more short, choppy steps. Uh, they're not as cyclical. They always do have that towed out kind of position because they're always accelerating real quick or they're always getting ready to hit the ball or they're just kind of uh, jogging around at a very, very slow method slow pace because they're just, you know, they're not involved in the play um, and they're trying to conserve some energy. So uh, these type of things, this, this getting used to top end sprinting is very, very useful for soccer athletes. Um, to teach someone how to sprint at a top end speed because where they injure themselves is always when there's a run out for a ball and they're trying to beat a defender to a ball and they're trying to go at top end speed and really open up their stride. Again, because they don't do that all the time, they're not exposed to it all the time, 
that's where that injury occurs because um, they're not used to opening up their stride. They're not used to going through that type of range of motion at that type of speed and what it requires from a neurological standpoint for them to contract and relax particular set of muscles so that they stay smooth. Uh, I talk about smoothness a lot with sprinting, um, having a sprinting background myself and, and, and competing collegiately in athletics and track and field. Uh, you can see some of the trophies and everything up back here is all related to track. Um, so I have a large background in track, so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to these sort of things, both from a biomechanical standpoint, from my education, but also from a personal experience of doing this. Um, it, takes, it takes fluidity to sprint at high speed. The individual who can be relaxed at a top end speed is usually the individual who's going to be more fast. What you see with soccer athletes, because they're not used to opening up, they're very stiff, rigid, uh, you can see that in their face, you can see that in their arms, and you can see it just, they're not used to where their, their, their foot and their, their leg should be in space as they're trying to sprint. Um, so that it's not just about getting stronger, it's not just about doing Nordic hamstring curls to prepare the hamstring. Um, all that, although that is a very important part, the individual has to get used to sprinting at higher speeds. So how you do that, how you get an individual used to sprinting at higher speeds is not just by starting them out at higher speeds. You do flies, so they kind of gradually move into a top end speed as opposed to just starting right out at a top end speed. Because if you just start them right out at 100%, they're going to be trying to strain so hard, they're not going to learn how to relax. They have to learn how to relax first um, before then you can put them at 100% efforts. So it's doing some flies where they kind of build up to that top end speed so they can work on staying relaxed throughout that movement or you do longer sprints. Um, so you have them uh, do a 200 meter sprint. Um, a lot of times, you know, unless you're a track and field athlete, you are not used to sprinting longer distances. So that distance is gonna force that person to, you know, maybe they're going at 70% effort for that distance. So during that time period, they're not up at 100% effort, they're at 70% effort because you can't keep 100% effort for a full 200 meters. Um, they can work on staying relaxed through that whole movement. So taking a long to short approach is usually um, what's a little bit better once you're starting to try to get the athlete back into sprinting, learn sprinting form once their pain and the strain has cleared up in the hamstring issue. So uh, what we did with these individuals in the clinic um, was a lot of your standard hypertrophy, Nordic hamstring curl stuff to get them out of pain. So we started with a lot of isometrics at the hamstring, um, both of them were more distal hamstring issues as opposed to proximal. Um, so that can kind of change which exercises you would prefer to use um, to draw, uh, again, more of that time under tension to the specific area that's injured. But um, again, starting with isometrics, moved to the isotonics, um, worked on hypertrophy through you know, stability ball, hamstring curls, um, uh, even just your normal uh, prone hamstring curl machine. Uh, eventually getting them into doing Nordic hamstring curls, working on the eccentrics there, um, and that helped take a lot of their pain away. But again, this happened often for them, so there's something usually a little bit uh, more to it than just getting them back ready for the sport. If we're trying to prepare them for the sport and get less likely to become injured in the future, we got to look at what's actually happening when they are getting injured. So yes, we want to build that body armor. We want to build more capacity in the muscle tissue itself, but we also need to look at what they're doing with the actual task as well too. And that's where the sprinting component comes into play with everything that we talked about at the very beginning 
of this talk. So I uh, hope you found this helpful. Uh, that should give you some good indicators of what things you want to consider when someone is sprinting during the acceleration phase, top end speed, but also uh, coming back from a rehabilitation standpoint, getting them back into performance training, getting back into return to sport. Um, all things to consider there. If you have any questions, uh, provoke something, some other type of question to piggyback off this a little bit further, get a little bit more in depth. Make sure you reach out to me. Always looking for questions from you so that I can help you become a better clinician or a better strength coach. And uh, again, help you become that go-to expert in your area that helps all the athletes around, but also helps those uh, fitness enthusiasts, those weekend warriors, and even general population. A lot of this stuff is going to apply. Again, our goal at Sports Rehab Expert is for the general population to funnel towards some type of fitness. Uh, because ultimately that is how we're going to help fight chronic disease and chronic pathologies and help all the rising cost of healthcare. So uh, this, all this stuff is applicable. Um, again, if you found this stuff useful, be sure to subscribe to the channel so you get notified when any new content comes out. Share it out to a friend um, or someone struggling with an issue like this if you think they could benefit from it. Uh, and look forward to speaking with you next time.